Hi, I'm Dylan Taylor, Chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings. I'm Ken Eppins, Founder and CEO of Orbit Guardians. Hi, I'm Raphael Rodkin, Founder of E2MC Space Ventures. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Canigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out what we can achieve together with your Lean Six Sigma or Operational Excellence programs. And check out opexsociety.org to learn more. All right. This time, I'm super excited to introduce Mike Reed. Mike has a very unusual background for being in the space industry. Uh, he comes from the banking and finance world and uh, had to learn a lot about the technical stuff, just like I did, and uh, and work his way into positions of trust and learn about processes and systems, and he's done an excellent job of that. Uh, he is now the manager of the International Space Station Business and Development Economic Development Office at the NASA Johnson Space Center. You try saying that uh, five times quickly, right? <laughs> so, so I, you know, I'd run into him through networking, and I wanted to know, like, what is this role about? What constitutes a win in, in this area, right? And also, uh, to me most importantly, how the heck did you get into the role that you've got with uh, non-engineering background? So... Mike, welcome. Mike, you have a non-engineering background like myself or a non-science background. You know, we're not physicists in that. And yet, here we are in the space field. I think it would be valuable for people to hear your story. How did this happen? How did you get into the space field of working with NASA? Yeah, how did, how did a guy that came out of the finance, uh, a finance degree from K-State, mm -hmm. came out of uh, ag banking, mortgage banking in the 80s, end up leading the team that's got engineers and non-engineers in the space station program office, right? right. Um, that's one of those things that's uh, not like the other. Um, back in the back in the 80s, I, I was doing pretty well in the banking business, but I looked around and I saw folks twice my age doing exactly the same thing I was doing. And I knew I could not continue to do that, you know, 25 or 30 years. So <clears throat> I went back to school and got a master's public administration degree, again, with a financial management emphasis. Uh, and while I was finishing that program, um, I had the opportunity to go to NASA, Johnson Space Center, to do a grad co-op tour. So actually, I did two of them back to back. And at the time, I had two kids under the age of three. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I moved to uh, from central Kansas to Houston <clears throat> on a nine-month internship. Okay. And uh, I was basically going to dare NASA not to hire me permanent. And uh, fortunately, they did. So I, I started out in shuttle program control, which is it's a wonderful blend of cost schedule and technical analysis. Hmm. Um, it really played to my my analytical strengths. And, and I excelled in, in, in that program office um, about six years later. <clears throat> A guy that was destined to be the, the the program manager for space station some years after this was getting ready to start the new research office under the uh, the space station program, mm -hmm. and he wanted me to to help him do that and to be his head of program control, and so I moved to station in '96. So I've been in the station program office since you know '96, which is way before first element launch, yeah. and. I did real-time ops. The, the guy was Mike Sufferdine, and you, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of. Um, I did real-time ops as an increment payload manager, 
Um, I moved from there into the Russian integration stuff where I, I was lead negotiator for all of the uh, barters and trades and contracts we had with Roscosmos and Energia and, and all. And I did that for about eight years. Long story short, it kind of, it, it, it trained me up to move, to know what space station was all about from having been there on the ground floor to then doing ops and then doing the international negotiations, which was frankly a blast. Hmm. Um, very tiresome at times, but it was a blast. And then I got a call from Sefardini one morning and, he basically wanted me to go back into the research office that had been totally uh, reorganized. Uh, all of the stuff in the utilization organization was now pushed into um, the other program uh, uh, divisions. Mm -hmm. So now everybody owned utilization. We were at the point where we just retired shuttle. The, uh, the era of assembly of space station was over. And now we had, we were pivoting to full-time utilization and, I frankly didn't want to do it because <laughs> when I left the, the, the utilization office eight years before, I basically told them to give away my desk, backfill my position. I'm never coming back. <laughs> never is seven years and 11 months, as it turns out. <laughs> ah. um, so anyway, I, I did take the job. It was uh, started out as the, the sponsor for the National Lab Research Investigations. Congress <laughs> has declared long ago that Space Station was a, a, a national lab. And then we were to select a nonprofit to uh, operate 50% of the research rights that we had on station. Hmm. And so my office started out as being a sponsor for that non-NASA 50%. Um, it quickly became pretty apparent that we, we had another, I guess an, another upcoming responsibility and that was the commercial sector was starting to play uh, in, in space on space station. Uh, Nanorax was one of the very first ones that had their own hardware onboard station that they had paid to develop. They were out doing business development and marketing it, bringing in new customers, which was going to be real important to us in the long run. But mm. at that point, it was new. It was a nascent uh, new uh, stakeholder. And so my office kind of pivoted. I was allowed to let it grow and change to be what it needed mm. to be um, to where it's, it's evolved into what we do now is we support Oh, probably a dozen companies that own and operate their own research hardware on station. Um, we have contracts with them. Um, we manage the relationships with them. We are a customer of most of them, but not all. Um, we have we have Space Act agreements with a number of them. Um, but the long story short is we're we are their advocate okay. uh, within the space station program, um, and, and it's it's really odd because. You see, business and development in the title of a of a government employee, and that that's that's a little unusual. Um, yeah. We we can't create the uh, the, uh, the the economic activity in space. <clears throat> we can kill it. I mean, we're real good at <laughs> at, at shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, but we have to create an environment where industry can see opportunities for creating jobs, for profit, for pushing uh, U.S. technology development, U.S. leadership in space. And so that has that that a long winded answer to how did I get to where I'm at is it, it, it's uh, a lot of it was seeing opportunities from the very first time I, I moved to Houston. I took risks. They were calculated risks, but they were definitely risks. Huh. And in, in, in hindsight, you know, it was like, what, what was I thinking? 
<laughs> but it it has played out well. It's been a fascinating career, and and now being able to create a a pathway to my position as a non-engineer uh, mm -hmm. in, in a senior position in the program, there wasn't a way to get to my job. And so we have developed some positions through my office that allow uh, both engineers and non-engineers to do a, a very challenging but creative kind of work. And now some of those have already progressed to 14s and GS15s uh, within and outside the program. So I tell I tell them all the time, you guys are my legacy because right. <laughs> you, you now can do you can get to where my job was. Whereas before, if I had retired several years ago, it was there would not have been anybody that was capable um, of, of stepping in. Now I feel pretty gratified to see all of the growth that uh, that my team has has done. I mean, it's just a it's a striking team. It's the tightest team I've ever been a part of. So. Okay, okay, yeah, and that was that was very interesting. Uh, so coming in through finance and actually working in some operations, I know from. Uh, past phone conversation you and I had, uh, you were telling me the the ISS negotiations with the, the Russians was quite pleasant. Um, I was hunting <laughs> around to see if there was any friction there. And you're like, nope, it was it was a good time. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's funny. Um, I, I, when I was a kid, my folks used to tell me I'd argue with a fence post. And, uh, <laughs> and then I took debate. I was very good at debate in high school. Mm -hmm. In fact, I saw my old debate coach uh, at a briefing I gave to the uh, Rotary Club back up in Kansas a, a few months back. Huh. Um, but I found my fence posts in the Russians. Um, they had the benefit of having doing, been doing the same job for years and years and years, whereas we are we move people in and out hmm. of, of the position. So <clears throat> by the time I had a half a dozen years under my belt with them, um, that's a long time for us. Hmm. Whereas them, that's just getting started. You're not even leading the negotiation at six years, you know, it may be huh. 16 years. And so right then you're at a disadvantage, but uh, hmm. uh, it, it was, it wasn't always enjoyable. Yeah. Um, but we did some, we did some fun things. A, a, a very long-term colleague of mine was doing some work in that same area. <clears throat> and I'd, I'd lean over and say, Hey Blake, I'm going to, I'm going to say something and I want you to make it look like it's the craziest thing you've ever heard <laughs> and, and do it openly. <laughs> and so we, we did some things like that to get us over some humps that allowed it, <laughs> it, it pushed back. I let them see my righteous indignity, <laughs> indignity sometimes, you know, <laughs> never pounded the table with my shoe right. <laughs> um, or anything like that. But uh, we got to a point where, it wasn't all pulling teeth. The first two or three years, we were still learning each other. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> After that, it became pretty, pretty much simpler to, to get to billion dollar deals where there's, huh. you know, there's over a billion dollars worth of stuff on either side of the border. Um, and hmm. it was very unique uh, time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I still have very good friends over there now. And so even though I haven't seen them in a decade, it's, it's that kind of a relationship. Yeah. That was fascinating. A little more detail there. Uh, you know, I think uh, we're used to seeing the ISS go by and spotting it and that, but we aren't used to really thinking about what's on it, in it, uh, and the transactions around it, right? Uh, that's that's very different, I think, for most people. So I, I'm curious about the scope of your responsibilities in, in the role uh, as, as ISS business, business and economic development uh, office manager. As you just said, 
the words business and development in this role don't quite mean what they would in a commercial uh, activity, right? So tell us a little bit about it. So I guess the simplest way to phrase it is I'm usually the first point of contact that some company might have um, if they were thinking about doing something on space station. Okay. <clears throat> they had a, the latest and greatest idea. They wanted to, to run past somebody. My, my office is kind of the face of the agency for a, a lot of these kind of activities because we're uniquely positioned to be able to talk to not only what the capabilities of station are, but also what our interests are and in what is feasible uh, on station, but but more so from a from a business perspective. Okay. We can we can I've always prided myself on giving quick notes. Um, <laughs> if, if something is just just not going to be something we're interested in, right, mm -hmm. or would never be a customer of. Um, <clears throat> these are small companies almost exclusively. There's there's okay. a few large ones we work with like Airbus and and uh, Teledyne Brown Engineering. Uh, for the for the most part, they're small companies. They have limited resources, mm -hmm. and the, the the less they waste on uh, you know dead ends, the better off they are in the long run, and and the more likely they are to be successful with us. So we yeah. we do an awful lot of uh, one off conversations with folks. We just had our uh, our uh, ISS Research and Development Conference in D.C. at the end of July, first one we've had face to face in three years. Mm -hmm. So getting back out and seeing all of our payload developers, all our commercial companies, it was like old home week. I mean, we were in conversations in the halls, in the meeting rooms, you know, in the bar, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> just ad nauseum for four days. And it, it, you're, you're equally riding a high, but flat out exhausted at the end of the week. <laughs> but being able to, to be there face to face and, and have people bounce ideas off of you, um, you know, spur of the moment, uh, is is a lot of what my office does, and and frankly, it's fun because we get to meet a lot of people, and because we can help them, or at least tell them where they need to go, um, figuratively. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then then that's that's a blast, and so we that that's a that's a big part of what we do. Um, we also have the day to day stuff. You know, we have the we're the we're the owners of the contracts with all these commercial companies that are already doing business with us. Mm -hmm. And so we're fiduciaries of the government, just, just like uh, we, we would want any other government employee to be. These are taxpayer dollars. And, you know, we don't, we as a government don't always play on a level playing field because we're hundred percent subsidized. Mm -hmm. And so we, we try to make sure that, the, that our, our commercial partners are not getting squeezed by something that we're doing you know, the left hand of the government's doing to, to, to uh, interfere with what the right hand is trying to do. Um, but it did, it, it did help us about three years ago when the agency finally adopted uh, the strategic uh, goal of commercializing low earth orbit, um, creating a much broader commercial presence, not only in the research capabilities, but in the provision of other services. Uh, and especially in the provision of the, the destinations themselves. Hmm. Uh, we have Axiom building a module or a set of modules that are will attach to ISS. And then we have three other companies that are all building their free flying platforms. We call hmm. them commercial LEO destinations <clears throat> that will, they'll all come to bear sometime towards the end of ISS life, um, which has now been extended to 2030. Okay. So we've, we've got a, a runway, it's not long, 
but it's also not immediate. And we've all pledged that we will never do what we did with shuttle again, which was in the program before the next, in this case, the commercial crew program was ready to yeah. take off. We had a, hmm. a seven year hiatus or an eight year hiatus in there that was just horrible. Um, and we, we will never go through that again. So it's a long winded way of saying we talked to a lot of people. <laughs> okay. But about specific things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's take like a, a fiscal year. What, what constitutes success for you over that period? Would you look back on and go, yeah, we did our job. We did a really good job. Um, <clears throat> so last year was a really, really good year. Mm-hmm. And before I tell you why, I want to tell you the things that are important to us. And that is this, that's year over year growth mm-hmm. of commercial research, of um, commercial partners with their with their hardware on, on space station. Um, but for a long time, we went through a period there where we we weren't seeing the investment, the outside investment into this new space uh, community. Oh, there was a lot of them doing launch vehicles and a lot of, of, of other things, satellites, CubeSats that don't, uh, some of them were deployed from station, but they don't necessarily involve around station. This last year, we started seeing some money come off the sidelines, okay. uh, real, real money come off the investment sidelines. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, well, Alpha Space merged back into MEI to create Aegis. Axiom become a unicorn. They're over a billion dollar valuation without having a stock issue. Um, Voyager acquired Nanorax. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redwire a year prior acquired Made in Space. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an awful lot happening that it to, to us, it's a validation of of all the things we've tried and and some of them went better than others, but we kept trying and we kept putting money in it. We had program managers starting to suffer Danny then through Kirk Shireman and now with Joe Montalbano that believe in if we don't have um, other non-NASA users for space, then ultimately we're going to be the, the only store in the mall and we get to pay all the overheads and, mm-hmm. and all the operating expenses for this mm-hmm. next platform. Um, and that's not tenable. So seeing this investment capital come off the sidelines and start scooping up companies, uh, it, it, it was a heavy validation for me. Of, of what we've done. And so that's major success, uh, job growth. Yeah. I, I, most of these companies have, have grown their labs, grown their offices and their labs two or three times in the last six or eight years, which is phenomenal. They, they just keep growing and moving into bigger facilities and adding people. Um, uh, they're just showing the com- all of our international partners, the Europeans, Japanese, Canadians, they're all looked to us on how, how are we doing this commercialization stuff? Because hmm. we started it way before any of them. Um, and we've counseled with all of them because we want them all to be successful. This is not a, this is not just a one country thing. Um, uh, ESA has come a long ways. JAXA has come a long ways uh, in, in, in how they're trying to pivot to, to in, encourage commercial users. So all of that, all of that is success to me. Okay. Okay, excellent. Um, are there any particular companies that you've been working with that you'd like to call out as, as wins? Well, the ones I just did, but then also yep. we've got Space, Space Tango uh, mm-hmm. in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, TechShot was another one that was there and just across the line from, from Louisville in Indiana. They were just acquired by Redwire. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a 30-year-old company that's done countless SBIRs, small mm-hmm. business uh, 
uh, grants. Yeah. And it, very highly technologically capable, but also had some other commercial hardware on the station. Hmm. So uh, they got acquired. Space Tango has, they're about to move into their fourth, I think fourth set of, maybe third set of offices in hmm. maybe six years. Um, but to, to see the job growth there is just really gratifying. And, mm -hmm. and we try to, we try to get out at least every 18 months and get into our, our uh, colleagues shops okay. uh, to see what they're doing, have them show us that, that this very open kimono for them. We are very much fiduciaries for them and we mm -hmm. protect their intellectual property. Um, but they get to tell us what their, how their business model is changing, mm -hmm. you know, what, what they see on the horizon, what they want to do. Uh, what the risks are, you know, we've, we've known, I've known over the years when a company was making half payroll, mm -hmm. um, that's how close we, we are with these folks. Yeah. Um, when COVID hit man, first thing we did was start looking at what milestones do we have that are partially completed under contracts that we can split and, and, and give them cash flow for the job they've already done. And and we did for those first two or three months in uh, spring of 20. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I couldn't tell you how many contract modifications we did. Mm -hmm. um, and our procure, procurement colleagues, they were right there step by step with us to do whatever we could to keep keep cash flow coming in, keep people employed. And we didn't have a single one, a single company go under, which I was really fearful of. All the work we'd put in over six mm -hmm. or eight years prior, I'll be undone in one dang pandemic. Right. Um, we didn't lose, we didn't lose a single company. And so that's pretty, uh, that's pretty impressive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, I, I had not realized how closely you were operating with them. So, um, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> you know, we have to, we have to maintain a balance, right? Cause mm -hmm. we're, yeah. we still hold it. They're accountable for the work mm -hmm. and <clears throat> we, we, they know they're accountable for the work, but that doesn't mean we have to do it with a ball bat. Um, and so we, we really, after, after working with the Russians for so many years, then getting to work with us companies, or, or we were very successful with the, but even with the language barrier, um, with, with the Russians, but then getting to come back and do something similar, uh, in the U S with, with promoting small businesses and, and commercial capabilities was, uh, that was a breath of fresh air for me. I mean, it was, it's become uh, it's been a really fun job. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Uh, not too long ago, you mentioned the ISS um, plan extending out to 2030 for its life. Uh, I can remember not too long ago, the, you know, the wailing about, oh, it's going to end and we're just going to let it fall into the atmosphere and crash into the sea. Uh, and so to hear that is good. Um, do you think that as we get closer to 2030 and the thing isn't falling apart that they're going to extend it out again. I mean, you mentioned some new modules as well. Yeah. The, the Axiom modules are, are intended to do two things. One is to, to leverage all of the infrastructure of the ISS. Mm -hmm. um, we, we had a competition to, uh, to award one port uh, on the ISS that was, that was, uh, that could be freed up for, for new modules. But it means they don't have to have their power and data mm -hmm. and propulsion and all of that capability with their first module. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to take forever to build it out like we did with, with, uh, with ISS. Mm -hmm. So that's eventually going to separate, though. 
And so at the point where we're ready to start deorbiting ISS, um, because those modules will be attached, we can move some research hardware that makes sense, okay. um, interfaces, you know, allowing, mm -hmm. um, but we can move a lot of hardware off of space station that they might want to see uh, continue on in, in, uh, in their Axiom segment once it separates. Um, okay. The other three are going to be free flyers. The other three uh, commercial destinations are free flyers that won't, they won't ever go to ISS. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, the answer to your question is <laughs> almost certainly space station could be extended further. We did a structural life extension uh, several years ago, an ac activity that really that wasn't the problem. Yeah, we see some minor cracks in in yeah. in the Russian segment in places, um, but uh, those two segments are joined at the hip because we provide all all the power and they provide the propulsion that keeps space station. The Russians provide the propulsion that keeps space station reboosted. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> we've done some kind of uh, technology development activities using Cygnus. Uh, vehicle for reboost, and that was successful. It's not as efficient because of the location of, of where it's uh, where it's birthed. But um, you know, I, I there's a lot of noise going on on the Russian side right now, and mm. we've never had the luxury of paying attention to that. Um, we've been through administration changes on both sides, mm. various wars and skirmishes, economic upturns and downturns, and yet we've we've operated space station where we've partnered with them on space station since 94. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just don't have the luxury of paying attention to that kind of stuff because we've got mixed crews on board all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And so we, we hear this stuff and it, it goes kind of, it just goes <laughs> all yeah. over. It's a water off the duck's back, right? right, right. Because we don't, mm -hmm. we just don't have the luxury of being able to pay attention to that. Our relationship, with the folks we work with over there is as strong as it ever was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Uh, thank you for the detail because you are much closer to the ISS news, right? Every day it impacts you uh, than I am or a listener, right? Or a viewer of this show. Uh, we're interested, right? We're interested, we're paying attention, but we're not following it as, as closely as you are, obviously. Um, Let's talk about private space stations. There's, you know, been talk about that and, and uh, they will get some up there in orbit. You were just talking about some, some private modules in that. Is NASA expecting to simply be a customer of those or do you expect that the agency will want to get involved in uh, maybe some operating rules or something like that? Um, that's a good question. Um, we, we will have, I'm sure we will have some, uh, ground rules that, mm. that because we're going to put our crews on board these stations yeah. and so anytime we're going to do that we want to make sure that it's a safe operating environment mm -hmm. um, um that will be input to these companies that operate these platforms mm -hmm. we don't own any of these platforms don't want to own them. Yeah. we don't want to maintain them we want to buy services so what you said is accurate we want to be a customer but not the only customer mm -hmm. Um, if we're the only customer, then we have failed in what my office is doing, and that is to develop uh, non-traditional users. Um, but but yeah, we want at least two platforms, uh, hopefully more. Uh, we, we, like I said, we've got we're investing in three: uh, uh, the free flyers and the one Axiom on on board station now. So that's a total of four. 
Um, we'd like to see them all be successful. Whether whether there's the depth of a market in low Earth orbit for that is is unknown to us at this time. But we're doing the inherently governmental stuff now, the heavy lifting, which is let's invest in getting some of these some of these on orbit, and then then we'll see what what comes next. But we fully anticipate not anticipate we have committed to being a substantial customer, an early adopter, if you will. Um, I don't really like anchor tenant. But some ways early on, we might be. Hmm. Um, but we are definitely going to be a heavy user of the services of these platforms uh, for crew training for and proficiencies for our fundamental and applied research. And most importantly, for our technology development, advanced systems development, because we will never uh, operate a life support system around the moon before it's had a lot of runtime on a space station or, or a commercial hmm. LEO destination. They, fluids just operate differently in microgravity than mm -hmm. they do in one. We're still learning <laughs> yeah. uh, how they operate in, in, in a, a lot of our life support systems. So, and this is after 20 years of operating space station. Mm. So we are always going to have to have a LEO platform. We just have to have others that need it as well. Mm. Um, and so this is probably a good time to talk about one of the other big uh, things going on in our office. And that is we have developed a portfolio of in-space, we call it in-space production activities, in-spot. Okay. It's in-space manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And we're doing, we probably got 14, 12 or 14 uh, companies doing uh, different things that, uh, and, and at different levels of, of TRL, technology readiness levels, mm -hmm. that if they're successful, they can be scaled. And that's that's where your your non NASA demand is going to come from. Mm -hmm. It's not going to come off from a one off research from NIH, although that could be important if they if they do it regularly. But this if, if we can get one or two things, we, we're doing exotic optical fibers, uh, trying to pull fibers on board. I think we have three companies doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, retinal implants, bio bio tissue engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and some industrial crystals, and mm -hmm. things like that. that yeah. it, it could be much better product in, in microgravity. Then, then you can afford to pay for the platform. You can afford to get them up there and afford to get them home. And then they become very valuable on Earth. And yeah. so this is this is not in space for space. This is in space for Earth. Mm -hmm. And and if we're successful in two or three of those companies, um, then they can scale as far as they want to. Yeah. Right now, ISS is not not really scalable because we <clears throat> we have a breadth of technology capabilities, research capabilities, but it's not very deep be, because we've got so many things that we 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 research up there. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you wanted if somebody wanted two racks to put in to do nothing but pull exotic optical fibers, we couldn't do that right now. Okay. But when Axiom's there or some of these other Leo destinations are in place, they absolutely can, and then most of these could be robotically tended. Mm -hmm. They would need to have crew on board to operate them. So that that is a big deal. Suffredini started investing in that. He gave us some money. Kirk Shireman gave us some money. And Joel has continued to carve out funds for this. We, we're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into these destinations. So I get those are sexy and neat and everybody everybody likes to look at those. But the, the important thing is if we have if we have demand for them, then they're going to be successful. Yeah. Um, if not, then we're kind of we're, we're barking up the wrong tree. So the very little amount that we put in in the demand side, the in space production side, could leverage 
hundreds of times, thousands of times over in the long run from, from a demand perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I've looked into the crystal growing myself. Uh, very interesting, you know, less vibration up there. So you get a good product question is demand and also the costs, right? Does, does it, uh, yeah. Does it match? But I I have had the suspicion the whole time I've been you know doing this uh, say the last three to five years that we have so little capacity up there that if we were to open up more, there are people who right now would love to use it, but it isn't there. And also the moment you open up that space, that real estate up there for for experiments or production, they're gonna they're gonna find ways to use it. I think there's plenty of people who will just start going, huh, that's available now and it costs how much? Oh, okay. That's reasonable. Let's, <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> well, the beauty of it, it doesn't cost anything right now because we subsidize the UPMES. Mm. You know, all of these, all of these commercial companies that are uh, flying their customers up there, they all come in through the national lab, through the 50% that's operated by national lab because mm. the, the, the uh, commercial environment is, is one of their constituencies. Mm -hmm. So, so mm. they, you know, Take advantage of it while while it's free, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Mike, let's finish up with this. Who do you want to speak with? Who? What makes a good discussion or a project a uh, good contact for you? Uh, people that have ideas that that are very creative, uh, running on a shoestring. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, look at look at Planet Labs. Planet. Mm -hmm. they, great success started out there in the space portal out at, at our Ames research. Um, the people that, that do things like that, I, I marvel at them because I, I noted earlier, I took some risks early in my career and along in my career. It's nothing like what they've done because, you know, their, their, their money and their livelihoods are hundred percent invested in what they're doing. Uh, you know, Jeff Mamber, who was the CEO of Nanorax. Now he's the, EVP for international partnerships, I think, for Voyager, who just acquired them. He, he'll tell you his first investors were MasterCard and Visa. <laughs> um, and that tells you, you know, you're starting on a shoestring. So the entrepreneurs, to me, their stories are fascinating. Um, and, and we've worked with so many of them, been privileged to work with so many of them and see them, a lot of them succeed um, over the last decade. That that's, those are the real heroes. Um, we have just been able, we've been in a unique situation to be able to help them. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, we're with the government, we're here to help, right? And then everybody falls down laughing. Um, but I think we've done a lot of that. And so those are the guys that have done the heavy lifting. Those are the guys that if, if guys and gals, and I don't mean to be parochial like that, but if, if they're successful, then we all have been successful mm -hmm. and the job growth will come and the, the revenues will come, the, the investment profits will come, and that's all inside the U.S. And that's that's the critical thing. You know, we're putting a lot of money into all of this stuff to show U.S. leadership in space. We are not ignoring our partners at all. In fact, many of our current partners are going to be involved with us on the exploration missions. Okay. Um, and I strongly suspect that they'll become customers of some of these LEO destinations that, that we're helping to enable. So the folks that are actually doing this work and doing growth of their companies using space, those are, I think, the fascinating stories. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Why did well, they see that? Yeah. What were they looking at? How did they, mm-hmm. you know, how did they sell this to their first investors who probably mm-hmm. thought they were loony, whatever? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, you know, if America is not going to make washing machines and television sets <laughs> and, and can't survive as a service economy, giving each other haircuts, <laughs> then don't you think that we <laughs> should be focused on high tech and creative efforts, design, inventing new things, right? And, and leading the charge. So I think that fits in very well uh, with, with my own point of view. <laughs> so that's good, cognitive bias for the win. But uh, all right, well, Mike, uh, how should people reach out to you? Uh, by email, LinkedIn, what's a good way to connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn, I have a, a, a very broad uh, uh, constituency on LinkedIn. I use it uh, for my work to publish things that were you know, contracts we've just awarded and in space production or things like that. Um, that's how you found me. Yep, uh, so I say absolutely find me on LinkedIn and, yep. uh, and reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I have to, uh, blame my assistant, Maya <laughs> for, <laughs> for doing that initial connection. I have her do that. Look for the right kind of people every so often. And suddenly I'm in a conversation with them and this is where it leads. So thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate yeah. you being here. You bet. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much for joining myself and my guest, Mike Reed, manager of the ISS Business and Economic Development Office at NASA Johnson Space Center. Uh, I hope you learned what they're about, what they're doing, whether you should be talking to them or not. To me, it looks like a great starting point, a great entry point to uh, the business of space, right? Being able to access that infrastructure with people who know what they're doing and what the capabilities are and, uh, you know, understand the history of how we got to where we are now. Um, I recommend also listening to the Houston We Have a Podcast interview. I'll link to that in the description below. There was a 2019 talk with Mike uh, where he laid out some of the uh, sort of the vision of what they're up to over there. Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's finish with that. And uh, I look forward to talking to you next time with another guest. In the meantime, if you are the president or owner of a defense contracting firm or space firm that is starting to do pretty well. Uh, maybe you're hiring your 50th or 70th person or something like that. It's just not a big deal to hire a new person. You've got your HR manual, you know how to set up another desk and another phone and stuff like that. It's not a scary decision anymore. You know, the whole future of the company isn't riding on this one hire at this point. Uh, I'll bet you're noticing that there is a lot of tribal knowledge and it's scattered around in your organization and the problem with that is you're going to find this out as you go uh, forward that having it in all these little cubby holes and and rabbit holes here and there is not of much use to anybody especially if that person who's got that knowledge that tribal knowledge leaves retires uh, quits and (laughs) uh, they're upset about something you know I don't know what the circumstances are going to be but that's that knowledge is gone forever and it's so if something isn't written down if it isn't documented and I know that's a boring word documentation for people you've got to get over that if you want to grow your company Uh, then you know if you're in that situation it's time to come and talk to us at Cold Star Tech okay this is the kind of thing that we take care of getting that tribal knowledge down and into a central repository where people can actually see it and learn from it and use it okay that is not very common out there there's a lot of slushy uh, it changes the story changes over time 
who the hero is of, of some big sale, let's say. That story can change over time. And the stuff that you thought you learned from it uh, disappears, right? It's wrong, actually. Uh, and if you think it's, it's something that I made up, the FBI and police organizations have had this problem. I had a whole episode of the Cold Star Project about it. I've done videos on it uh, on my channel about the fact that the lessons that they took away from some shooting incidents were just plain wrong. And then they went out and they trained the FBI and the police officers in incorrect methodology. And because of the way inertia works in our society, how people don't question things very often, uh, that stuff sticks for 15 or 20 years. An entire generation of cops and that gets trained in something that wasn't the right response in the first place. If that doesn't worry you in a field such as defense or space where it's critical, these are mission critical things that we work on, right? I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you're in the wrong business, right? <laughs> if that's the case, okay? Well, this is my podcast. I can say what I want. So if you're in that situation where you're getting to see that hiring people is not that big of a deal, but that tribal knowledge is scattered all over the place and people aren't really learning from experience, right? And, and the lessons learned change over time. That's not good. That is what you need to come and talk to us at Cold Star Tech to figure out, okay? And I know it sounds really abstract. I've been banging this drum for three years now or more in the space industry and most of the companies are little startups. They haven't got enough going on to hear it. It doesn't make sense. But there have got to be some defense contractors out there and bigger space companies. You're gonna be listening to this and you're gonna go, oh my God, I kinda know what he's talking about. It's not just some weird fantasy thing that doesn't apply to you because all you're interested in is your next bag of money. <laughs> Trying to extend that runway, right? So you could produce something before the company dies. No, I'm talking about people who are well beyond that. Okay, you know how to get a hold of me. You go to the coldstartech.com website and you pick a time to talk with me or you go and connect with me on LinkedIn and you send me a message saying, hey, I want to know more, all right? Ah. <laughs> That's a lot. I'll talk to you guys soon.